0: John chapter 10, I'm going to begin in verse 31 this morning. That's where we left off last time, several weeks ago. Chapter 10, verse 31. I'm going to read through the end, end of the chapter. Okay, before we read this. Uh, this, is, this is great. Okay, this is not concocted by me. The Holy Spirit has this in John's gospel, and we've been here for a while. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I've been in this gospel since, I think, September of 2020. So we've been slowly making our way. We've been taking breaks here and there for this and that and the other thing. But but where we are right now is John chapter 10. And if you look at John chapter 11 um, in your Bible, you're going to see... A heading. Now, these headings aren't inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're helpful tools given to us by our Bible translators so that we can see um, what's coming and where we're going. Um, but look at the heading. If you're reading the ESV like I'm reading this morning, um, you're going to see in chapter 11, you see the death of Lazarus. Guess what next week is? Next week is Palm Sunday. And what comes after Palm Sunday? Resurrection Sunday. Look at the next heading. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We're going to unpack that together on. Easter Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit uh, guided us in this way, and and I'm excited that we get to talk about this I am statement. If we continue at this pace, we're probably gonna. I'm not gonna guarantee anything, but we're probably gonna wind up getting to the actual death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ about this time next year when Easter rolls around again. So <laughs> that wasn't a joke. That's just the way that you're like, wow, you're so slow. But yeah, okay. Um, last Easter we were at John three sixteen, which is just lovely. How when you start something, when we take time to invest our t- our, our our mind and our heart energy into a, a book like this as a congregation, the Holy Spirit gives us and brings us to the places that he leads us in the way that he wants us and to see the things that he wants us to see. Okay, John chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 31 through 42 this morning. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. If you've been tracking with us through John's Gospel, like I said, we started in September of 2020. It's been a long time. But it's no surprise that we come to a scene like this one in verse 31, where the Jews pick up the stones and to kill Jesus. Their intent here is murderous. This has become a theme. It's become part of what you expect to read right around the corner in John's Gospel. And here, again, they tell him exactly why they're picking up the stones to stone him. They're picking them up because of something that Jesus said. Specifically, verse 30, I and the Father are one. No pun intended here, but you may have been living under a rock if you didn't see the kerfuffle that happened happened at the Oscars this last week. Um... The proper response is for your eyes to roll in the back of your head and clunk really hard because of all the media attention that this has gotten, especially when there are so many things going on in the world that need our attention. Of course, I'm talking about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. And not in jest, it wasn't a shtick, it was real. Um, But again, why? Why did that happen? A joke, because Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada words have power and draw responses so if you make a joke about someone's mama or or their wife um, you might get a smack in the face and claiming to be God also has carries some weight with it right this is that might get you stoned or it might get you crucified now we're a couple couple weeks 10 11 days away from good friday and that's when we'll talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It did work itself out that way for Jesus. But again, we're getting there, we're not there right now. What the point is this. Words have power and they draw responses. Words have power and they draw responses. Je- Jesus but Jesus here isn't reciting something off a teleprompter some throwaway joke in the middle of a as you coming out of a commercial break. It's not a transition, but Jesus rather is speaking the whole truth. And in fact, Jesus is truth himself. Jesus is the truth of God. Jesus is God himself and God's very word in human flesh. And because of that fact, he's drawing a response. There's a response that's swelling in the hearts of these people who are opposed to Jesus. And that's what we're going to consider this morning because this passage challenges in us. It challenges us to consider our own response to Jesus. What do we think when we hear the name Jesus? What do we believe when we hear the name Jesus? That's how I'd like us to think about this passage here together, verses 31 through 42. We're challenged here, and and there's sort of this mathematical equation then that shapes up throughout all of this, um, or several equations mathematically. Um, I'm going to read these, and then we're going to unpack them as we consider what Jesus says here and what the Apostle John records around this, this interaction. Those who take none of Jesus get none of Jesus. Those who take some of Jesus get none of Jesus. Those who take all of Jesus get all of Jesus. Let me say that again. Those who take none of Jesus get none of Jesus. Those who take some of Jesus get none of Jesus. Those who take all of Jesus Get all of you know those are interesting formulas. You wouldn't expect them to work themselves out in that way, but this is how we're gonna talk and consider this passage together. So let's walk through each of those formulas. The first one those who take none of Jesus get none of Jesus. Of course, if you take nothing of something, you don't get anything. That's pretty simple. This is maybe the easiest of these formulas. If you say no thank you to dessert after dinner, then you don't get any dessert. That seems simple enough. Look at verse 37 with me. This may seem like a weird place to start, but Jesus right here, he he says, if I am not doing, if I am not doing the works of the Father, then do not believe me. Now, that's, that's a sort of a rhetorical statement because he is in fact doing the works of the father he says if if i'm not doing them don't believe me but if i am doing them that's what he says in verse 38 but he sets up this this idea that you should not believe him if he's not doing the work don't take any of him if if he's not actually doing the works of the father And remember how Jesus, okay, so again, it's been a few weeks, but remember how Jesus wraps up this last section of the text, right? In verse 30, the the last text we looked at in John's gospel. Verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. Jesus, once again, in John's gospel, again, this is a common theme. Jesus is claiming to be God. And they're becoming, these claims, these deity claims are becoming more and more and more explicit. Saying I and the Father are one, that's a pretty explicit deity claim. Have you, uh, this is kind of a silly question, but have you ever experienced, maybe you have, probably not, but have you, has anyone ever said to you, I'm God? I think that would be like kind of, that would be really jarring for someone to say that to us. And remember that many Jews, all the way back in verse 20, said that Jesus was insane and that he was possessed by a demon. Verse 20, many of them said he has a demon and he is insane. Why listen to him? It was like, let's not give this guy any of our time. But when Jesus says the words, I and the Father are one, and all of those deity claims that came earlier in the book, these have caused the Jews to believe now that their hand is being forced to pick up the stones off the ground. Claiming to be God is a serious of crime because it's, it's sacrilegious, because it's defaming to the name of God. It's what we would call blasphemy. The Jews uh, the Jewish law said that the those who blasphemed were to be put to death it says right in the the law right in the heart of it uh, Leviticus 24 16 whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death and the congregation shall stone him the sojourner as well as the native when he blasphemes the name they shall be or uh, uh, the uh, the show, when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. so everyone who came before Jesus if they claimed to be God was committing blasphemy and the law prescribes capital punishment for this individual. but Jesus is God and so there was no blasphemy in what he said. But these Jews don't want anything to do with Jesus. We, we understand this. We you, we look around in our world and we see a culture that's increasingly hostile to Jesus. Many people may be ignorant of what he claims or have sort of this pseudo-buddy-Jesus picture of who he is. But most people are just sort of picky-choosy. It's Like, well, maybe I'll take some of him and some of something else. That's what secularism allows us to do. The and the prevailing religion of our day is a religion of self. We're told constantly, it's just a barrage of do what makes you feel happy, live life, be the best to you, live life to the fullest. You deserve good things. And the message that comes with this religion of self leads us to believe that we are God. That whatever is happening internal is the internally in us is the highest good that we can attain to, and so even for us, when we look at this and when Jesus claims to be God, we might be tempted to gloss over it because when when Jesus claims to be God, it kind of assaults or becomes a tough pill for us to swallow because when when Jesus says I am God then it means that you and I are not. And if we're not God, we may need to give up on our visions of happiness, robust life experiences, best versions of ourselves, and good things in the way that we want to internally define those things. Now, the irony, according to Scripture and according to Jesus, is that when we lose that stuff, we get it all. We get it all, even though it doesn't quite look like the way that we might think it does. When we lose these things, we, we actually find them. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, describes something like this. If you haven't read The Great Divorce, um, it's, it's, a, an, a, it's C.S. Lewis at its best, in my opinion. Um, but the book is, this is a strange premise, but the premise of the book is that uh, a group of tourists in hell get to take a, a holiday, and they get up on a bus and head up to heaven. That's the, the premise of the book. And upon arriving, they find, these residents of hell, find that, they are, um, that they're actually um, sort of transparent. They're small. They don't feel like they're in the right place. The residents of heaven, on the other hand, are these big, solid people, full of life and joy. One of the traveling residents of Hell brings his pet sin, Lust, along with him. And it's sort of in the form of the lizard. And I can't ever look at that lizard in Frozen 2 and not think of this. Um, He he immediately... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, that's just from my brain. He immediately recognizes that the pet sin doesn't belong there. It's just like, that, that doesn't belong here. And he knows it, so he's like, I'm just going to get back on the bus and head home. But the man is approached by an angel who asks if he wants to be free from the pet sin. And the man says, well, yeah, I I think probably. Yeah, I would like that. And the angel says then to him, he says, I'll kill it. And then the man objects. And then he gives every excuse in the book. He says, I need to consider it more. It's under control. Look, it's sleeping now. I'm feeling sick. Why do you ask? You should have just done it, he said to him. He said, you should have just killed it without asking me. Why did you do that? But after a long dialogue... The man gives in, and he says, you're right. He said, it would be, this is his quote, it would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. And so the angel kills the pet sin, the lizard. Um, Lewis writes, the burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and then he flung it broken backed onto the turf. The man, a- a freed from his sin, immediately groans. And is in anguish. It seems as though he's dying himself. But in short, the groaning ends. And all of a sudden, a transformation occurs. He becomes a new man. And then also the lizard, dead on the ground, is changed. With new life in itself, it becomes a great white stallion with a golden mane. And they ride off together across the mountains. Now when we look at that story, we're not developing our theology of heaven and hell on C.S. Lewis's vision here in this in this book. But we see that when we throw away our notion of happiness, that internalized world-fed happiness, self-fulfillment, vision of the good life, when those things are our highest aim and when we throw them away, We're told that we get infinitely more. Jesus says it like this. He sums it up in Matthew 10, 39. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In the world's definition, and maybe some of your definitions too, the world's definition of life is self-fulfillment. If you want to test it out, just look at your credit card statement, look at your calendar. Where do you spend your time and your money? Be honest. What does it show? But also examine your heart. It's not just this. is not just about money and material. It's like, well, I need to die to self, so I shouldn't buy that thing. That's not. That's not it. Examine your heart. Where where have you you harbored bitterness or unforgiveness against others? Where have you been extremely like really prepared to? Gossip, to say something negative about a family member or a co worker. Where have you ignored people who are draining to you personally? Where have you reveled in holding on to self by refusing to seek reconciliation with another? In Christ's sacrifice, we find forgiveness, we find reconciliation, we find love for those who are hostile towards Jesus Christ. And we're called to follow him into sacrifice, self-sacrifice. We're thinking about this together. Those, Those who take none of Jesus get none of Jesus. And those who take none of Jesus have allowed self to squeeze him out entirely. Some of you may be thinking, well, the pastor doesn't want us to be happy. That's not what I'm saying. I I, I don't want you to be miserable. I I want you to be, in. in you are a terrible God. You created nothing. You control nothing. Nothing falls under your, you sustain none of this. We can image God in some of those things, but at the end of the day, such a small percentage of things are contingent upon us that happen in the universe. And he upholds it all. But we do know a God through his word that offers everything to us. but we have to make a swift and sacrificial end to self and openly acknowledge that he knows far better what is good for us than we do. So back to our text, by picking up the stones, the Jews were showing that they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They didn't want to take any of them and so they were going to get none of him. They wanted to put him to death right there. Those who infringed upon their ideas, their ideology, their sense of self, You cannot reject Jesus and receive his benefits. You cannot hear the claims of Jesus. You cannot see the works of Jesus and walk the other direction and expect abundant life, joy, and peace. You see, some people, and maybe even some of you, want nothing to do. You're fine with me saying these things, sort of speaking them up into the ether over the top of you, and then picking up that black hardcover Bible on the table and setting it back there neatly as you walk out the door never to think about these things again. But as soon as anything is heard that challenges your inchargeness, we pick up the stones to put that thing to death. Our conscience may be screaming back here. You need Jesus. Your sin is swallowing you up. And then the stones start flying. Friends, because of what's written here, we need to know that if we take none of Jesus, we get none of Jesus. But let's move into that next formula. That next equation here. The one where the math seems to get a bit wonky when we say those who take some of Jesus get none of Jesus. Would you like some pie for dessert? Just half a piece. If you ask for half a piece of pie at dessert, you get half a piece of pie. But again, the, the, the formula here. You can't take some of Jesus and get some of Jesus. It's all of Christ or none of him. Remember those words that Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39. This is where this gets surprising to us. Not because that formula sounds weird to us, but remember Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 39. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Lose it like it's it's gone, like you eternally lost your car in the Walmart parking lot. Like you can't, like you, you, your dentist appointment started two minutes ago and you can't find your keys and then you can't find them ever. And then you're locked in your house and you like, you can't, it's over. But here's what's surprising about this text. Not this formula that says if you take some of Jesus, you get none of him. That's not what's truly jarring about this, I think. What's truly jarring about this text is is that the Jews don't want any uh, any of Jesus, and that's seen the fact that they want to stone him. But instead of dismissing them out of hand, instead of just saying, get out of here, right? Jesus is merciful. He's patient. I want you to see that here. Look at verse 34 with me. This is probably where your radar went up, and you're like, what is Jesus talking about? In verse 34. Jesus answered them, when we read the text earlier, is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? Verse 35, if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? The Jews tell Jesus they're going to stone him for blaspheming. He said, which of the works are you going to, and he said, well, it's not the works, it's blasphemy. And then Jesus says this weird thing. He's quoting out of Psalm eighty-two. He says, or where, "Where the psalmist writes, I said, you are God, Son of the Most High. All of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince.'" Now, there's a whole host of interpretations of this, and, and but we're not going to get into any of those. What we're going to say is that what what's being not being said is that people are actually deities. But on earth, there are people who have ruled. With power. They actually have power here on earth, like the president or like kings or like emperors. Jesus simply quotes, and so what Jesus is doing here in verse 34, Jesus quotes this as a diversion. He just, it's a little quick little language trick, right? He says, I'm the son of God, you're offended by that. God said this about you, um, what do you make of it? Why would they have a problem calling him? Why would they have a problem with him calling himself the son of God, or even saying something like, "I am the Father of one"? In unbreakable scripture, when in unbreakable scripture, the psalmist says this that other men are gods. So Jesus isn't asking us to draw any conclusions about who we are. We shouldn't form our a a big theological treatise on 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 Psalm eighty two and what what Jesus meant when he said this. It's just a quick little hey, hold up, check this out. Jesus is saying that uh is saying this so we'll th- rethink our position for a moment and allow him to do what happens in verse 39 when he says when it says that he escaped from their hands. But here, remember what I said that it's the mercy and the patience of Jesus that's actually jarring in this text. Look at verse 38. So we read verse 37, right? Those who take none of Jesus get none of Jesus. Then in verse thirty-eight, verse thirty-eight. But if I do them, the works uh, of the Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. If Jesus does do the works of the Father, he tells the Jews to believe them, that the works or the signs and miracles that he is doing are a result of his relationship and his oneness with the Father. And the intended result of this appeal is, to believe the works, is that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. This is what we would call a purpose statement. So. Believe this, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The Jews believe what he says. If the Jews were to believe what he says about the works he does, then that will lead them to believe that he is God, that he is one with the Father. Sort of this progression, and Jesus is willing to be patient with them. He's merciful in this. People like to call others who oppose them, we use the word in our culture, toxic. We say something like, man, even if we're looking at this, we're like, man, those Jews, are, are, they're trying to kill him. Jesus is just talking and they're they're picking up the stones. But Jesus in his mercy and patience doesn't just say, to hell with all of you. And he would need no defense to say that to them. The Son of God, the very Word of God, taken on flesh, who dwelling among them, they're seeking in these moments to murder. He would not need any defense to send them all straight to hell. But in his mercy and in his patience, he appeals to what they've seen in his works. Jesus is patient. There's time. The mercy of Jesus is seen in that he doesn't slip away and the the Jews don't arrest him here. By creating this diversion, Jesus is being merciful because he's giving them more time to repent. Something that they don't deserve. The mercy of Jesus is seen in the reality that there's more time for those who are unable to see Jesus for who he is to repent. Those who take some of Jesus get none of Jesus. That's the formula. But, friends, if that's you, if you're just like, hey, I'm so I'm stuck in myself, in this corner, and I don't want to give up. I don't want to forgive that person. I want to harbor this bitter resentment. I want to spend time slandering my family members and friends. I'm stuck in this perpetual cycle of just getting what I want all of the time. But I think Jesus seems pretty... Repent! The time is now! You can't remain on the fence, but Jesus has been patient with you till this point. You can come to him right now. He's ready to receive you. Not holding on to a sliver of self, but ready to take all of Jesus one of my favorite sections of scripture is that Isaiah, like forty through 56, 57 section in the where the prophet Isaiah writes. All of these amazing things. In, a verse, in chapter 42, verses 1 through 3, Isaiah writes, Behold my servant, this is God speaking, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Now he's talking about Jesus, 700 years before Jesus walks the earth. Whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. Listen to this. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. By appealing to the Jews just to see his works and admit that they're from the Father, Jesus was looking, at faint, he was looking for faintly burning wicks that he could faint into flame, that their faith would grow and blaze and burn. And even where there's a little belief, even the smallest amount of faith, Jesus bids us to come. If there's like 99.9% of you that's just like, I just want to do what I want to do, but maybe that 0.1% of you is like, but Jesus seems like an okay option here that he is patient and merciful. Feel the fact that he is fanning your faith into flame even in this very moment. Even where there's little belief, Jesus bids us to come. The Puritan Richard Sibbs, in his book The Bruised Read, which is about this passage, writes, Let us look on our own imperfect beginning. Those of you who have been living, following Jesus for decades of your life, think about where you started. Think about the fact that you knew so little about this great Savior. Think about the fact that He fanned into flame something that you saw as being so insignificant that He brought. Something out of nothing, so Richard Sibb says, let us look at our imperfect beginning only to enforce further striving to perfection. We call a little plant a tree because it is growing up to be so. Christ would not have us dis- despise small things. Jesus in his mercy does not reject even the smallest faith but promises to grow it into mighty oaks planted by living in water. Friends, those who take some of Jesus get none of Jesus. But if that's you, don't despair. Jesus has been patient and merciful and brought you to this very moment so that he might fan into flame full-fledged faith in you. You have an opportunity to get off the fence to stop playing patty cake, trying to balance your self-interests with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. You have the opportunity to repent and believe. In conclusion, this morning, this last formula for us, those who take all of Jesus get all of Jesus. Once we get off the fence, once we stop thinking that our self has something to contribute to happiness in this formula. Once we're thinking that this world has something to offer us. Once we lose our life. Friends, we find it. We alluded to this earlier. Once we lose our vision of the good life and what that contains for us, we find the good life. Because the good life... Is in a set of experiences. It's not comforts. It's not money. It's not material. It's not personal peace. It's not some sort of internal indulgence. It's nothing that's found in this world among other created things. The good life is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's the king of the universe, and he invites you even in these very moments to come to him. Resurrection Sunday, again, two weeks away. Remember the question. If you think about that, the angel asks the women when they find the tomb empty. He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do we seek that which can give life, or give that? why do we seek that which cannot give life Why do we seek that which can give life among that which only leads to death? There's one place that life comes from. One place. Jesus Christ. He has absolute authority to give life. Why? Because life is contained within His very being. Jesus is life. We get a capital L on that word. Because he is life. But friends, again, the good news is this. Even where we remain unconvinced, and where corners of our self spring up and try to take hold of us, Jesus is patient. He's merciful. He continually offers himself to us, even when we pick up stones to kill him. Saying, I want to be my own God now. We want to be our own gods. But he waits patiently looking for the smallest, smoldering faith, that he might fan it into flame. For some of you, that was in the past. For some of you this morning, that's you right now, smoldering, wondering what this is even all about. But friends, coming to Jesus now looks like forsaking that which is death. Even everything the world offers and taking all of Jesus Friends, the call is simple. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. For all of those who take all of Jesus, get all of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you this morning that you have clearly communicated through your word exactly how we might have life. God, would you cause us this week, each one of us in this room, to identify areas through your spirit, the work that only he can do in us, identify areas where we are still holding on to self and self-interest. God, would we lay those down this week? God, would we ask the questions, what would Jesus, what would the King of the universe have me to say and do in everything that I say and do? God, would you tune our hearts to you this week? God, would we give you praise and offer gratitude for your mercy on display to us. For the patience that you showed to us when we were far from you. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.